13 tonight. We might get through all of it. We're going to see. I got about 40 minutes to go. So if y'all y'all listen quick, I'll talk quick and we'll see what we can get through, all right? Genesis chapter 6 verses 8 through 13. This is where this chapter gets good. Not that this chapter had been good already and it seems like we've been in this chapter for quite some time, but here we've got some of the most wonderful words in all of scripture, certainly in all of Genesis, certainly in all of this chapter. And that is this. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. And Noah was a just man, you know, perfect in his generation. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh, and had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Here, you might think at that last book in of verse number 13, that this is a, a sad ending here. Rather, what we find is that God's grace is going to be all throughout this. We're going to see as we look tonight at Noah's character, and that's what we're going to be picking up in your booklet, verses 8 through 10, Noah's character. <clears throat> this is going to reveal us a lot about Noah and what his character was like. But the great truth is that Noah's character was this way, not because he was a perfect man, and we're going to get at what the word perfect here means, not, not that he had ever not sinned, but rather because of the character of God. It is God's character to be gracious to His people. And so that's what we're going to see here. That's the focus. This focus, anytime we read about Bible characters, especially those who are, who are considered Bible heroes, we must never fall under the trap to think that that Scripture is about them. Now, you all understand what I'm saying here? Genesis 6 is not about Noah. It's about God. This Bible is not about the characters. It's about God. This is God's revelation, and it's how God works through these individuals. So the focus must not be on Noah or his character, but rather through the character of God and how he's working through a man like Noah. Noah was not sinless. Noah was a man who needed grace. We're going to get to that in a moment. When we read the Bible, even when we study those men, and as we're going to get into many great folks of the faith in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the goal of those passages is not to teach us about a man, but rather to teach us about God and how God uses imperfect people to do His perfect will and that all throughout God is raising up someone greater who is going to be a perfect man because He is the God-man. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the focus. That's what I mean when we read about somebody in the Bible. Unless it's specifically about Jesus, it's going to not be about them. It is going to be about God. This is God's Word. This is God's operation here. Now, as we begin here, we find that even in God's grief and judgment, His grace is found. Now, we had looked at this earlier on in uh, verses uh, 5 through 7, talking about God's grief as He looked out into the world and he saw so much sin, so much rebellion. And yet what we find is when God brings judgment, his grace comes right alongside. As a matter of fact, his grace goes before judgment because before judgment comes, God in his grace gives a preacher. He gives a pronouncement that judgment is coming. Now God doesn't have to do that, does he? No. God could just bring judgment and be just in doing so. God could have in Genesis 3 taken Adam and Eve and both just 
chucked them both into hell forever with no explanation whatsoever, but instead, His grace is always there. He could have done the same thing with this generation. He could have taken everybody except for Noah and just chucked them away and not given them any amount of time to repent. But instead, we had found, as we believe in this Scripture in Genesis 6, uh, verse number 3, that, that he's given them another 120 years, if you will. And I believe that during this time, the ark is being prepared. And I believe that Noah is preaching. The Bible tells us later on in the New Testament that he was a preacher of righteousness. We'll get into that here in just a little bit as well. But as we see here, in fallen creation, there is nothing that is untouched by sin. However, there is nothing that is unreachable by God's grace. This should bring us hope. This should bring us hope because everything around us, as we talk about, we pray for our nation, we pray for freedom, we pray for all the censorship and all the things that are going on around us that make us just beyond uh, confused, even beyond angry and all these things. What we've got to see is that we are under judgment as a world. Judgment's not just coming, it's here now. Judgment must be given when there is so much sin that is so rampant, and to think that we're not yet even at the place that Noah was living in, where every thought of the heart of man was only evil continually. It seems that way right now, but we're not quite there yet. It's going to get worse. However, you and I should not be going, oh, it's going to get worse. What do we do? We should be going, oh, it's going to get worse, but we're in the ark, so it's okay. right? We're looking not for an antichrist. We are listening for the our Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, to call us out of here. And nevertheless, if we were to die by the sword, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The worst thing that can happen to a Christian today is that they die and go to heaven. That's not so bad. That's God's grace. Now here what we find is that only grace can save and restore fallen man. God's grace is being offered, but God's grace must be received. We often call God's grace a gift, do we not? It is given, right? It is God's unmerited favor, undeserved favor, unearned favor. It is His favor that He gives us grace. It is often said that grace is a gift, right? It is something God gives to us that we don't deserve, and mercy is Him withholding what we do deserve. And the two do go hand in hand. So what we find is that mercy and grace are being poured out, and it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the eyes of the Lord here is this idea as there's nothing that escapes the eyes of God. Not just an action, by the way. Not just any deed. Uh, but even the very motive of the heart of man cannot escape the eyes of God. God tells us in His Word in Hebrews about the Word of God that it's sharp and, and, and it's sharp and a two-edged sword. Uh, it is cutting to the very depths of who we are. It literally lays us open and bare naked before God, that there's nothing that we can hide before Him. God's eyes see. Now this is both a warning to those who refuse to believe, but this is also a comfort to those who trust Him. Now, this is why Jesus tells the churches in, Je in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 that I know thy works. Now that's both a warning, but it's also a comfort to know that God knows our works that his eyes see the motive of our heart. This should encourage us to live as Noah did, and that was by grace through faith. Tonight what we find is not Noah who was a sinless man, but rather Noah who needed grace and received it by faith. That is salvation. By the way, that's sanctification. 
By the way, that's every part of our life and human existence is by God's grace. And we get to enjoy it and can only enjoy it by faith. You notice this, the lost people that we often talk about or that we pray for or that we used to be, do they experience God's grace? Absolutely they do. But do they know it? No. Why? You see, grace is given. But faith must respond to it. Faith must receive it. If not, it is a waste. Literally, countless folks today, in this very hour, are wasting the grace of God. God's grace should not be wasted. If we view it as a precious gift that comes directly from His, His heart, directly from His hand, we should take it all the more serious that God would allow us to live, breathe, or have another moment, another day. Not so that we could live for ourselves, but rather to turn back and to live for Him by faith. And that was the life of Noah here. Phillips writes, He was not a godly man because he came from a long line of godly men, for God has no grandchildren. Let me pause there. Y'all catch that? God doesn't have grandkids. Right? He's got sons and daughters. That's right. He's got those that He has adopted. Those that are adopted are those that have put their trust in Him. Now, I know this, and this is something that I've seen, and, and you see a lot of jokes and things about it, that you know, a, a parent will be kind of rough and stuff with a kid, but then when a grandkid comes, it's a whole different story. But here's the thing. God doesn't have grandkids. There's no inherited faith. And we have seen this in our nation and our churches today, have we not? What grandmama used to believe and how she used to live and how she used to read and pray and serve in the church... Grandbaby ain't doing it. At least very few and far in between. So what we find is that it's not inherited. As a matter of fact, you can raise a kid in church, every church service, and they still might not know Christ. That's a dangerous place. Now, praise God, we have seen in the past year several be saved who were a part of that group in church. Knows the lingo. I was a part of that group when I got saved. I knew church. I was in church all the time. The doors were open. You were there. I knew the stories. You knew all these things. But that does not mean that you are saved. You cannot inherit faith. Faith must be your own. So what we find here is that Noah was not saved because his great-granddaddy was saved. It wasn't because he came from a long line of godly men. There was a long line of godly men because each one came to the place where the truth of God and the grace of God touched their life and they said yes to the Lord. That they called upon the name of the Lord as Genesis 4.26 tells us. That's salvation. Phillips continues, He was made, I'm not going to get through all this tonight, I can see it. He was made a godly man because he discovered eternal life in the generous overflowing grace of God. You will not find salvation anywhere else. You will not find salvation outside of God's grace. It is a gift of God. You will not find life, worth, purpose, meaning, anything outside of God's grace. Phillips continues, He had access to the truth. In the day, uh, uh, in the day of Enos, the grandson of Adam was still alive and did not die until Noah was over 80. You reckon old 80-year-old Noah could have talked to him? I think so. It's quite possible. Nevertheless, truth is being passed. 
Truth can be taught. And it should be taught. It must be taught. Faith can't be inherited. But here's the issue. We can't exactly inherit truth. The only way that truth gets passed down is if the ones that have the truth pass the truth down. Now here's, here's where we have messed up in, in, in the Christian world today. Is that we have mistaken. and here, we, We've done this with good hearts. Do not get me wrong here tonight. I know this is outside the booklet here. That's alright. I'll, I'll, I'll get back in there in a minute. We, we have made a mistake here by doing this. We have about two to three generations ago, it started in about the 60s and 70s. We started hiring youth pastors. The 80s, we started build, building gymnasiums by saying we, I wasn't alive, so y'all do the math, okay? But here's what started happening. We started sending our kids off outside of church and in the church to professionals only. Now hear me out, this is what that means. We got youth pastors, children's pastors. We got this pastor and that pastor and this director and that director. And you're saying, well, what about church workers? Don't we need church workers? Absolutely. But what started happening is what used to be taught and lived in the home was now barely lived in the home, not taught in the home, and only taught in the services that the church had. And we wonder why there's generation gaps, right? This is what's happened. It starts at home. I, as a youth pastor, when I was a youth pastor, I, I tried so hard to emphasize this to parents that I cannot be your replacement. I can't raise your kid to know Christ. I can teach them the three to four hours a week I've got them, but 40 hours a week at least, the school has them, right? 40 hours a week, on top of that, their phones and social media have them. And you say, well, how can we keep that from happening? Easy. Don't give them a phone. Did y'all turn out okay without having a cell phone growing up? Yeah, did okay, right? Some of us even got dropped on our head and we're doing all right. We got dropped on our head and we didn't have a cell phone and look at us. Picture of health and sanity. Now here's what has happened. Is we have not passed the truth down. We have passed the buck for the truth to be taught by others that we thought were more qualified. There is no one more qualified to teach your child or grandchild about the Lord than you. I'm not as qualified to do that. And it's not, it's, you know why? It's because I don't live with them. You do. You're related to them. You have an impact. And you have that responsibility. This is why God established the family long before. Because who's going to come in the ark? Who's going to remain in the ark? And who's going to come out of the ark? One Family. That's a dangerous thing. You think, what about the rest of them? Well, the rest of them heard the truth, but rejected the truth. And then there were some who, like we talked about and prayed for earlier, never got the chance to hear the truth. Died without it. What a tragedy both of those are. We must see. Faith can't be inherited. Truth can't either, but truth must be taught. And without truth, there will never be faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the Word of God is truth, is it not? Then it must be taught, it must be preached, and it must be taught and preached at home first. Phillips continues and he adds here, He was reared in a believing family, but just the same Noah had to find grace for himself. He had to see himself as a sinner in need 
of the grace of God. Now that's, that's salvation. This is where we find it. You've got to see that you need Christ. You've got to see that you need God to save you. Because Noah could look and go, well, here, we got all the truth, right? I've got a good lineage, good heritage. i got good morals, right? Or today, he could have all that and be like, I'm in church. I'm in the youth group, right? I don't, I don't uh, uh, drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, and don't hang around the girls that do. None of those things, right? All that stuff. And still not be right. He himself had to come to that place where God's grace showed him, and it is God's grace, by the way, that shows us that we're a sinner. That's God's grace. And it's God's grace then that shows us that there is a better way, and it's not our way. It is to call upon the name of the Lord. God's grace both judges and saves. No saved soul is saved without grace. And then no saved soul, after they're saved, is no longer needing grace. As a matter of fact, I've spent more time now in my lifetime being saved than not saved. And I can tell you this, I've needed a whole lot more grace now than ever before. I need grace. God always gives grace and is always able to provide grace. And I believe always desires to provide grace for people. But the issue, as we've talked about on Sunday mornings, is not so much that God is unwilling or unable to give, but rather that we are unwilling to receive. Grace and faith are inseparable. And we have some who want to say, well, you know, God's gracious, so it doesn't matter what we do, what we believe, how we live. You know, God's gracious. Well, yes, He is. But it's His grace that shows us how we are to believe, what we are to think, how we are to behave and live in this world. But it's only seen in our life and become a reality when we trust in that free gift of His grace. Faith and grace must meet together. That's salvation. That's sanctification. That is all of life. Grace reveals. Faith responds. Grace gives, faith receives. Those that have faith to receive grace seem to find grace in all things. Notice this, when we're not faithful, or when we're fleshly maybe, we don't see God's grace as much, do we? I know I don't. When I'm in my sin, and you say, Pastor Joe, you get in your sin? I do, because I'm just like you. That's what we do. We get in our flesh. We get all twisted up and knotted out, and we go from one ditch to another. We get in the gutter a little bit. And we sin because we like to, not because we get surprised, but we sin because we like it. That's, that's exactly it. Now here's what happens. When we get in that place, when I get in that place, I can't see God's grace for nothing. When I'm in my sin, I can't see. You could sing to me when I am in my flesh, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and I would say the only blessing I could have right now is you, if you stop singing that song. That'd be the biggest blessing of my life right now. Because sin blinds our eyes, even a saved soul. A saved soul can be blinded because they might be not in some sort of egregious or worldly or drunken or adultering sin, nothing like that, but they might be in a place where they are not receiving what God has given all by faith and might be trusting just a little too much in self. And here's what happens. 
God's grace is all around them and they just don't see it. it it's like a child who, when you play, you play in you know, peekaboo or, or hide and go seek with them, right? And you, you go, where are they? Right? And their mentality is, if I can't see you, right? But here's what happens. Sin does this, and as soon as it does, we can't see what God is doing. We can't see that God's grace is all around us. And even God's grace being poured out on us and available to us when we've got our own hands over our own eyes. And that happens far too often. Without God's grace, there would not be one single person saved. I would add on that, there would not be one single sanctified day in your life. And I don't think I've ever gotten to where a whole day is sanctified to the Lord. I don't think I've made it 24 hours. I'm trying to make it between 2 and 4 hours, let alone 24. If I can make it 24 minutes, that's pretty good. But the only way I make it is by God's grace. Now here we look. It is God's grace and glory that are the overwhelming active things that bring God's promise, provision, and presence to man. All things are by God's grace and all things are to be for His glory. Plain and simple. We find that all throughout the Bible. You can trace God's grace and God's glory everything. i got a book playing in my mind. You can find it in creation. You can find it here at, at, uh, at, at the catastrophe through all this. You can find it in the covenants. You can find it at the cross. You can find it in the church. You go all the way through, right? I'll write a book one of these days. I don't know. I'll give it to you, right? It's there. God's grace and glory. It's everywhere. It is His grand theme. And where do we find God's grace and glory? You say, well, in all those things you just listed, that sounds pretty good. That's a start. But all of them are found in one person. The promised seed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now let's look here at faithful Noah. Now I know earlier we said you know, we're not going to look at Noah's, uh, you know, this is not about Noah, and Noah's not. Why was Noah faithful? Why was Noah faithful in verse number 9? Because Noah had grace in verse number 8. You have no faithfulness in your life on your own, outside of God's grace. Now you say, well, what? I thought I'm doing pretty good. If you're doing pretty good and you're having a good spiritual day, and, and some of us have some of those days every now and again, right? You're like, you know, today wasn't that bad of a spiritual day. I read, I prayed, I didn't fly off the handle, a lot of those things. And when we have some of those days, you know why you had that day? God's grace. It wasn't because you were extra spiritual that day. It's God's grace. But notice this. The days that we don't have that, it's not that God's grace wasn't there, it's that we didn't respond to God's grace being there. The two go hand and hand and with one another. But here God stops, and I believe the reason why He puts this in here about Noah is not so much to lift Noah up, but rather to show how low everyone else around him had gone. We're seeing here that Noah, who needed grace himself for salvation and to be able to get on the ark and to live this life, well, here's what happened. It's not so much that God is raising him up on the pedestal and look look at my one perfect man in all the world. He is sinless. He's righteous. None of that. Only Christ is those things. What it's doing is it's showing that 
stark contrast because earlier we had the world that only thought evil continually. And here we've got a man, as Noah's described, it says that Noah was a just man. And everybody else so far has been described as not so just. Perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. We only found that with one other person so far in the Bible. Who was that? One of his relatives. And Enoch walked with God. And then in verse 24 of chapter 5, and Enoch walked with God. That's the key. We will only be as faithful as we walk with the Lord. And we will only walk with the Lord as we stay near to His grace and trust Him by faith. By God's grace, Noah is found to be just, perfect, and walking with God. Anyone that is faithful is only faithful because of God's grace, or else there is no need of grace. We would just need works. But it is God's grace that does this work in us and through us. Sorensen notes, he is noted as one, just. This likely is not yet imputed righteousness, though, though this may be in view. Hebrews 11.7 notes that Noah did, however, soon become heir of righteousness of faith because that's the only way you can be saved. Side note there. Number two, Noah also is noted as being perfect. The word so translated as perfect has the sense of being complete or whole. The idea is that Noah was wholehearted toward God. We should say today that he was totally dedicated or as men like Andrew Murray or Ari Torrey or Tozer have put it, they were at, he was absolutely surrendered to God. There was a point in the time in Noah's life where he surrendered his life to God to call upon His name. And that every day after that, he would surrender his life, surrender his day, surrender his moment, and that is to be the Christian life. A life that is lived by grace through faith is a life that is surrendered to the Lord. It's a life that God can use. He goes on and he says, Noah walked with God. As his great-grandfather Enoch, Noah had close fellowship with his Maker. You and I will only be as faithful as we fellowship with God. And the reason why we have fellowship with God is because of His grace. It is a gift. And perhaps one of the sweetest gifts that we have by His grace is that we can have fellowship with one that we have no right or business to even come to. That's God's grace. I don't just have a a relationship where, I, I, where He's the King and He's the Lord, and He is those. But now He has become my Father because He has adopted me through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so now, we are joint heirs with Jesus, is what the Bible tells us, that we're already seated in heavenly places, that Jesus makes intercession at the right hand of the Father on our behalf, that He has given us His Spirit to indwell us, to live uh, in us and through us and for us, to draw us to Christ every day, to give us fellowship with Him. There is never a day that we should not live in fellowship with God. You say, well, how do we do that? We know to pray. We know to read our Bible. That's true. But do you know to pray and to read your Bible with faith? And I believe that therein is the difference. Therein is the difference between those who know the fellowship of God and the fellowship of the Spirit and those who know about fellowship and want fellowship. Our great desire should be to have fellowship with the Lord. Could you imagine as Noah's going to have fellowship with God because he walks with Him, but to be shut up in an ark, if you will, to be able to spend time with God where all the world is chaos. 
That's the beauty of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ through Him right now at this very moment. You are safe and secure in the ark of God and may now freely and forever have fellowship with Him because we are designed to freely and forever have fellowship with Him. It is only sin that causes us not to have fellowship with God. Furthermore, Scroggy writes about this. He says, The qualifications which make possible such distinctions are seen in Noah, of whom seven things are said. He was righteous, upright, virtuous. The idea of being straight. He's straight as an arrow, as we might say. He was perfect, characterized by moral integrity. He was pious, for he walked with God, as did Enoch. He was courageous, a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter 2.5 He had godly fear and faith, by which he became an heir of righteousness. Hebrews 11.7 God's grace revealed, Noah's faith responded, and in so we find a man who is able to be used of God. Only by grace through faith can any man be just before God and blameless among the sinless, uh, the sinfulness of the world. All of life must be by grace through faith. You and I would like to think of ourselves as a Noah, would we not? We'd like to be a Noah, let's be honest. We, I, I want to be found this way amongst the generation of which we live in. Would you say tonight that we live amongst a righteous generation? No. We're living much like they did in Judges, where every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. That's much of the idea of where every man here in Genesis 6 was doing that which is right in his own eyes, and in his own eyes, he only saw and thought of evil continuously. And Noah is shown to be in such difference because not that he is sinless, but he is surrendered, and that's the key. That's what separates us from the world. But not just separates us from the world, but then separates us unto God. There are plenty of people today who are separated from the world, but are still yet lost. Here's what that means. You can live a clean and a moral life, a good, decent existence, and still not know God. And with that, we have to understand that we must, and what we find that a real saved soul, a real sanctified Christian, what that begins to look like is that not only are they separated from the world, that we are no longer of the world, but that we were separated unto God. He is our desire. He is our motivation. He is the preeminent one. He is the one that we live all of life for, and He is the one that we live life through. The greatest fruit of Noah's faith It's not going to be a boat. It's not going to be the animals. It's not going to be anything except his fellowship with God. The greatest thing that Noah has going on is that he has fellowship with God. The greatest thing that you and I could ever have going on in our life is that we have fellowship with God. And it's noticeable. It's even palpable and tangible. You can know when someone walks with God or not. Now, I'm not talking about mysticism or some sort of aura or halo around somebody, but you know, you know when somebody meets with God. And I believe Noah was such in his day. Noah would not have been well-liked by the crowds. He was not going to be one that was invited to all the parties and all the things and all the gatherings. He was one that was a preacher of righteousness. When you preach righteousness, you're not going to be invited a whole lot of places nor are you going to be liked by those who are in the darkness, to those who are mocking the coming rain or the coming judgment. 
And here's what we've got to understand tonight. No one will be used of God without being separate from the world and surrender to God by faith. And only faith can do it. God's grace enables us to do it, but we must achieve it by faith. We must trust Him at His Word, at His promises. Fellowship with God is the force behind any work for Him. How many of you tonight would say that you want to do a work for God? Alright? All of us. At least a solid half of us and the rest of us are raising our hand too. Amen? We'll take, we're smart enough Baptists in here. We know we've got to raise our hand with it. Here's what we know though. We all say we want to do a work for God. Now, for all of us, that looks a little bit different. Some are called to do different things in different places and different times and have different talents and different gifts and different abilities and all that sort of thing. That's the beauty of the local church. That's the beauty of what God does with the body of Christ. However, we will never accomplish a work for God until we know fellowship with God. The force behind doing anything for God is being in fellowship with Him. Anyone that we find in Hebrews 11 was not so strong or so mighty, but rather they were the weak of the world, the unwise of the world, the unwanted of the world, but they trusted God and walked with Him, fellowship with Him, and God used that as a driving force. So you say, I want to do something big for God. Or maybe you even say, I want to do something medium for God. Or average size for God. Even I just want to do a little something for God to tell Him thank you. That's probably about where most of us find ourselves. We go, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to be the, 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 the big name or the big this or have a big crowd. But I just want to do something for God. You want to do something for God? Get along with Him. Fellowship with Him. Because until we know His presence, we'll never know His power. Until we know His fellowship, we will never be a force for His kingdom. And we've got to understand that getting along with God will be the greatest thing that we ever do. Because getting along with God and walking with God and making sure that we are right with God and that it does not just look like, well, let's cut out some bad things in our life because my dad, he was rough as a cob. He, he got uh, clean and sober long before he got saved. But here's the difference that makes in anybody's life. One, salvation, but two, getting set apart, not just from the world, but unto God. When we find our greatest satisfaction and being with the Lord and in His presence, it will make even more of a joy and of a heart desire to do something for Him. But we will never do unless we are dedicated. We can never serve unless we're surrendered. God would much rather have our worship before He has our work. Because unless He has our heart, unless He has our heart, He'll never have our hands. Our hands can do a lot of Christian-like things, a lot of churchy things, a lot of religious things, but only a heart surrendered unto God may know the power of God upon their life and be used of God as a Noah. You say, well, I'm not planning on a, on a worldwide flood again. Me neither, and neither is God, by the way. But God would use us in these generations. God would use us today, and I will tell you and myself tonight, the only way that we will be used of God is be set apart unto Him. Noah was just. Wholly dedicated to the Lord. He walked with God. Noah begat three sons. 
Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Here we find in these three sons, not that these sons would inherit faith either, because they couldn't do that neither. We find that these sons have to find grace and have to receive it by faith as well. But what we're going to find is that God is going to continue throughout this book, throughout this Bible, especially throughout this book of Genesis, to use the unlikely. Shem, who is not the oldest. You say, well, he's the first listed. Well, as we're going to see here in just a few moments, if you read and as we get through Genesis, chapter 10, verse 21 tells us that Japheth is called the older son. The elder son. If he's the elder son, then that means Shem isn't the oldest. But that's the beauty. Because all throughout the rest of the book of Genesis, God doesn't take the eldest son. He normally takes the next one. It's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. It's not Esau, it's Jacob. How about even going back before Genesis 6? You had Cain and you had Abel. It wasn't Cain, it was Abel. But Cain killed Abel. God said, that's okay. My plan and my purpose isn't thwarted. Here's Seth. Men began to call upon the name of the Lord. God uses the weak, the unlikely, the unthought of. His ways are not our ways. The name Shem is the name meaning name. Isn't that a good name? <laughs> Have a baby. Oh, what are you going to name him? Name. That's his name. It's a family name. We're <laughs> just passing along here. But Shem would be the one Israel would come through. The promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's important. You say, why does He just call Him name? Because God talks about Israel and says, I'll make a name amongst them. I'll declare My name to them. I'll make a people who weren't a people out of them. He says that He'll declare His name through them. And how did He declare His name through Israel? The same way He's done it through the church. And it's through the promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest name that there ever has been. That's the beauty of this. That's the wonder. Now Ham. Ham here means hot or burned even. He would be cursed for his sin, which we'll get into later on as we get into this flood account. He will be given then in the lineages the name Canaan. Be a cursed people, a people against God's people. The Canaanites at war against God's people. Falsely occupying their land that belonged to them, given by God. Japheth. His name means enlargement. Believe according to Genesis 10.21 that he is the elder son. What we find is that he's going to be able to tag along and reap a whole lot of blessing in his life. Nevertheless, and I know that's as far as we're going to make it tonight. So I'll, I'll go ahead and say this, and y'all can enjoy it. Y'all were right. All right. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I wish. But here's what we find tonight. Before we get to verse 8, what do we have? Nothing but wicked generations. But we find hope in God's grace. 
Where God's grace is, there is hope. Today, you and I look at this world around us and we would probably say there's not much hope. I would say there's an awful lot of hope as long as God's still God and God still gives grace. But here's how we'll get to experience some fruit of that. We, like Noah, must see our great need of grace and we must receive it by faith. And that you and I could be like Noah, separated from the world, and surrendered unto God to be used for Him in these generations. You might not have three kids named Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You might. I don't know. But I'm sure you got kids, grandkids, loved ones. We've got generations that need to know the truth of God's Word. If they cannot inherit faith, they cannot inherit truth, but they must be taught truth and they must see faith lived out. So what will we do? Will we settle for the status quo? Will we just continue to leave it to the professionals? Or will we do what God called us to do? To be faithful. That's simple. God calls you to do one thing. Just be faithful. Believe. Trust. Depend upon Him. When we see our great need of Him, His grace fills that need. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this night. We thank You that we could gather. We could worship You. We could praise You. We could look at Your Word tonight. and We can be encouraged and challenged. We could be able to see who Christ is tonight. We could see the great truth of what You're doing, Lord. And your word. And God, we thank you that your grace is always available, but we do pray, O oh God, that we would receive it and respond by faith, that we would trust you, that it would be applied to our life, to our heart, to our homes. God, that you would do a great work amongst your people here, and that we would be used of you today, that we would be separated from this world and separated, surrendered unto you, God, that we might be used to see souls saved, lives and homes and hearts changed for your honor and for your glory. We love you. We thank you for this time. Go with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see you guys Sunday morning. Y'all pray for us as we head out tomorrow. And we'll be back Saturday afternoon. The guys heading out.